Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is Luca, the CEO of uh, Kumata. Luca, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, uh, Mike, for having me. It's, it's great to be here and, and thanks for the invite. Really, really a pleasure and uh, I'm really excited because it will be a very nice episode with fresh topics uh, and amazing insights about your journey uh, scaling up um, Kumata until now. So, but before, let's let's start for to get to, to get to know more about you. So who, who is Luke, how has been your journey and uh, let's, let's know also more about the company. Thank you, Mike. Yes, of course. So, so my name is Luca. Um, I'm based um, between uh, uh, London and, and Asia, um, and I'm, I'm also the, um, the CEO and, and, and co-founder of, uh, of, of Kumata Group. Um, so we started Kumata now four and a half, coming up to five years ago, um, together with my, with my co-founder, Etienne. Um, and what we basically do uh, in, in, in one or two sentences is we... Uh, predict when and how someone is going to die uh, based on their lifestyle uh, factors, such as steps data, wearable information, other data. Um, and then we um, help insurance companies to use that data to basically price their policies more accurately, um, allowing their applicants to get a smoother uh, onboarding um, journey with less friction in the purchasing process. So basically, if you're a uh, potential um, if you're uh, uh, um, if you know if you're interested in buying an insurance policy and you want to buy it with one of our customers usually you would have to go fill out questionnaires potentially have to right. do a medical exam lot of lot of pain right so what we can do is we can allow that customer to share their data if they want to um, and then basically make it a much more quicker process as well as a more accurate process for for, for the insurer that's that's really really interesting, and I would say uh, life changing and, and disruptive for for the industry, right? Absolutely, absolutely, and and um, you know it's quite interesting to see also like where specifically it has the most impact and the first impact. So we're you know we're quite quite heavily focused on the UK and Asia Pacific, um, yeah. uh, um, uh, you know as well. I mean we have some clients in the US as well, but that's really where where, where we focus most of energy on which is quite an interesting topic in, 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 in itself around so, where some of these innovations scale up uh, in the first place right this is this is a great topic because we discuss here especially uh entrepreneurs that are based in the uk uh, in europe in general uh the leap about uh expanding throughout Europe and we all know about the complexity of expanding uh, across Europe uh, because it always seems only Europe but different languages uh, different regulations etc etc and and then the ones who try to go very quickly into into the US to to scale up their business uh, there uh, and we all talk about the the, the the right timing to do the leap, uh, what is the investment needed, the resources needed to, to do that leap. But very few times we discuss scaling up uh, from, from the UK into the Asia-Pacific uh, region. So why APAC and what has been some of your lessons uh, uh, doing this expansion into, into the APAC region? Yeah, it's, 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 it's a very... Um good question so I, I definitely I mean I, I actually want to 
sort of split this this discussion into two parts. The first one is around the first point you make, which is I think that a lot of uh, you know a lot of scale up sort of you know look west when when they expand, right? They go to the US, uh, potentially to 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 Western Europe if if they start in the UK, or the other way around, you know uh, you know go from you know uh, Europe in, into the US or in the UK or, or even from the US okay. in, into Europe and the UK. I, I think the first thing is to say it really depends, right? On uh, on on the scale up that you're running for us it's not well i do love asia next to next to working there but it wasn't because of my love for asia that we went into asia it just happened to be that we got most traction on it and that's the second part i want to talk about why yeah. why we specifically found that traction in asia but i think it's very important to say that each business is unique right and uh, if yeah. you're running a b2c business for example maybe international expansion is not the thing that you want to look at as a first step Right? If you're looking to target a particular audience with a marketing message, probably makes sense to focus on one domestic market, build up that brand, build up your, you know, your, your, your revenue exactly. from that market, and then go into one other market. Right. Whereas for us, because we work with large multinational insurance groups that sort of say, okay, today you have to be in Vietnam, tomorrow you have to be in Singapore. Um, yeah. It just sort of suited our business, but it is all demand driven. It's never sort of like, I want to do it driven. It's really demand driven. And that, that's one of the key things, especially in a scale up. I think when you do international expansion, it should be really demand uh, driven, uh, that, that expansion. Um, and that really brings me to the to the second point of, of your question, which is around um, why Asia for us as Qmata, and you rightfully point out that there's not that many startups that or scale-ups that start in the UK and then sort of grow into Asia. Um, I think for us, it was because of the client demand. So I remember when I started out in 2017, um, I was basically, my strategy was, I, I, I knew we were going to have to target large, you know, uh, insurers, um, because that's sort of where we would get the volume from. And I sort of traveled all across the world, really. I went to the US, I went to uh, Europe, I went to the UK, where the point I was living, uh, I went to Hong Kong, I went to wider Asia. And I just sort of thought like, where's the traction? And then it started to be in Asia, right? We, we closed AIA, which is the largest uh, listed life insurer across the whole of Asia. We got some you know, other clients off the size of, of AIA, which I can't yet talk, publicly talk about. We'll, we'll have a few cool announcements in the next few, next few months on this. Um, and the reasons for that, well, I think I can put out a few guesses. Um, uh, again, it was that demand-driven growth, but I think one of the things is that um, the distribution value chain in Asia on insurance is very much owned by the insurance company themselves. So if you're, for example, AIA, right, you would have your own agency force that you as the insurer own. Whereas in other markets like the UK or the US or even Central Europe, right, it's a lot of um, divided district. And I'm obviously simplifying this, right? I mean, there's more complexity to it, but broadly speaking, it is more divided. So not only would you have to convince the insurer and the reinsurer, but you'd also have to convince the distributor as well as potentially some software portals as well as Got others. It. So less parties is one. Um, and then of course, um, from a perspective of innovation, we just feel like Asia is the growth market. Uh, and, and I, you know, it's clear, Absolutely. right, who's buying insurance, middle class. So you go from there. Um, and the insurers are really targeting that, I would say. Absolutely. Uh, and so we, we are also making a special edition um, of the podcast uh, about Asia and, uh, and Southeast Asia. And uh, it's, it's incredible to see the, um, the energy and uh, the momentum, uh, even funding rounds uh, in the region, it's, it's exploding. It's incredible and getting mature and, and more and more mature. 
So, and what 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 are some of the regions across APAC that are the most important uh, for you? I know that as it's, again, you are working with large multinationals, which are present in almost all countries in in, in the region. But uh, what has been your kind of approach to such a a large uh, region with so much complexity that can go from India to China to South Korea to Japan and also to Southeast Asia, Australia, New Zealand, right? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, we sort of have what I call, you know, four and a half markets uh, in a way that we focus on. Um, uh, and that's really how we built it up. Now, the first one is the UK, right? So that's a market that I think we're doing quite well in that we want to scale further up. Um, and then we have three markets across Asia that are sort of our priority, right? Um, uh, and, and they go at no particular order of importance, but to go through them, the first one is um, what we call um, Southeast Asia and multinationals. So these would, would be like sort of like the multinationals would be sort of the AIA types where, you know, you may have that relationship with their group office in Hong mm -hmm. Kong or Singapore, but then they will go and say, okay, well, this business unit, like, I don't know, Korea wants to launch or I don't know, making this up. I mean, this is not AI specific, just anyone, right? Like, now maybe Vietnam wants to launch or they want to launch or whatever. Yeah. And, and that is one of the sort of areas uh, as well as the wider Southeast Asian market. So that's one pillar, right? Uh, the next pillar, the second pillar is India. So for us, India is a sort of dream come true market because um, mm -hmm. as I explained our product at the beginning, right? We simplify the onboarding journey. Now in a country like the UK, that simplification is to simplify the questionnaire. But in India, actually, um, you know, 50 to 80% of all applications actually have to go to a paramedical exam. And that costs a lot of money and it's a, just a pain for every single person. So there specifically, not only are we a, a increase in conversion and sort of like friction reducing uh, our service, but we also cut a lot of cost for, for, for our clients. So that, that is a big market. And of course, huge rising middle-class, meaning a lot of people are going to buy life and health insurance. And you know that means a lot of assessments plus obviously a billion plus population. So, uh, so that so that's definitely one that we want to focus quite a lot on. Um, um, so that's the second one. The third one is China. Um, so Greater China, right? So we've got an yeah. office in Shanghai, we've got an office in Hong Kong, uh, and building upon the momentum that we have there. Uh, that's the um, uh, that's the third one. So, so the fourth one, and then the half exactly. one is we also have a I wouldn't say office, but we have a person in Japan as well. Um, that's helping us develop this 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 market um, as well. And then lastly, uh, outside of all of those sort of four priority markets that we target, we then also have what we call sort of low hanging fruit clients outside. So we have a client in South Africa, we have a few clients in the US, um, and and these ones we're developing next to it, so that if we come to our next round, we could potentially make an argument of saying, okay, we're quite big in the UK now, quite big in Asia, but you know maybe it's now time for scale in I don't know South Africa or or or, or US or whatever clients we already have a foot in the door exactly so um yeah that's that's really a, a great point um having of course this kind of other segment open to as, as you said you decided to go into the apac region because there was a demand and, and traction coming from uh, from there not not because it just uh, wanted to to go there there was an opportunity that was 
validated, right? So I think that's, that's a good point. So it seems that in other way, you keep open to what the market is telling you. So if there are other markets that are uh, asking for, for your services, uh, you would consider if, if it starts repeating again and again, again, they, 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 that demand, right? Well, I guess it depends a little bit, right? I mean, in the first phase of our company, yes, because remember, right? Mm -hmm. In the first phase, it was for us just proving our product market fit, right? And going into it and, and actually getting some clients and having those clients see value out of our product. Um, and there, you know, as I said, right, I was flying around the world trying to get those first few clients. Now we're at a different stage, right? Now we're at a stage where we're live with some you know, big clients, you know, we've raised 23 million or so forth. And, and it's right now it's about scaling, right? So if yeah. someone would come to me and say, hey, we have a big opportunity in Brazil, of course, if you're going to give us 5 million in ARR, we'll still do it. But if it's just sort of like a deal, then, you know, we would look at that and we would see, do we need to do that? Do we, is that fitting in our roadmap? Is that fitting in our priorities? How much is it going to take us to actually set up in, 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 in Brazil? Because now we've identified those four, four and a half key pillars where we have success in and where we just need to scale up. So the focus now is really going to be rock solid on those four. Um, with some other ones around, just in case, you know, like for our story for our next round that, you know, we have growth potentials, but, but those four is where we spend all our effort because right now it's not about proving our product market fit. It's not about finding, well, it's always about finding clients, but it's not about like proving right. all of that stuff. It's about scaling up from what we've now proven, which is that our product works and it delivers benefits to our clients. Right. And it's interesting to see the, the focus because it's clearly the insurance industry. Uh, then it's clear, clearly enterprise um, insurance. Uh, so the size of companies is enterprise. And then that's why we are discussing much more the geography because both the size of the company and the industry is quite clear um, in your uh, business model. And, and I think that what you are saying is also... Um, especially now focusing on, on the APAC and excluding um, Japan as this half-market, uh, let's say, so talking about Southeast Asia, India, and, and China, as you were saying, we might have different speeds of scale, right? And maybe on the B round or in the C round, you will be focusing much more in, in one of th those regions, also according to the traction that you, that you are seeing and the potential of growth. Yeah, that's correct. I think, uh, you know, broadly speaking, it has to be said that insurance industry is a slow industry, right? So you're having long sales cycles and, and it takes exactly. time to get things done, which is a negative in the sales, but it's a positive in the retention because it also means that exactly. your competitors will very likely not kick you out as long as you don't properly mess up, um, uh, you know, which, which, is a, which is a positive out of it. Um, but uh, in terms of timelines, um, and which markets to prioritize. I mean, again, we've sort of built ourselves a brand now, specifically in Asia and the UK. There's a lot of like in the insurance circle, with a lot, but there's a little bit of, I guess, uh, you know, knowledge about us now and, and, and sort of like a growing, um, a growing recognition that digital underwriting is really, you know, happening now, given the clients yeah. that we signed up. Um, so I think the momentum we really take on, I don't see a big difference between the countries, um, um, you know, honestly, not, not too much. Um, not not really that much i mean you know it, it, it depends more on the relationship that you have and the use case that you have with the clients you know if you have a really good use case and a really good relationship it will just go quicker uh, but whether you have that in vietnam in uk or in singapore um, we right. haven't seen a massive difference there 
Right. And it's interesting what you said for, for the ones who are listening, it might apply to other business models and to any lessons. It's the focus, for instance, in Southeast Asia, in Singapore, being usually the headquarters of these large multinational uh, companies. Uh, and from Singapore and from the relationship with the client, they will ask, we want to make it available in a specific market in the region, for instance, uh, talking about Singapore, so across Southeast Asia. So then we we, we launch the, the product with a client in, in Vietnam or in Indonesia or in, in Malaysia, uh, Thailand. Uh, Etc. So it it helps to focus that the majority of the clients' headquarters are in in Singapore or, as you said, in in Hong Kong. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of very, I guess, important points here that you bring up. Um, I think the first one, and this one is very specific to my industry, insurance, right? So this may not be applicable yeah. to other listeners, but uh, for us, right, um, we have sort of two types of clients, right? We have the big multinationals and then the local players. Uh, mm -hmm. Our target definitely is. In the first case, the build multinational. So these are, you know, your AIAs, your, you know, I don't know, right. Prudential, Avivas, those types of ones, right? Um, and there, yes, you, you know, they would usually have their group headquarter or Asia headquarter in, you know, always either Hong Kong or Singapore. Exactly. It, a little bit more in Hong Kong, um, but now with COVID, who knows how that's going to, uh, you know, go? I definitely see a lot of people moving to Singapore including myself um but um but 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 certainly uh, um uh, certainly uh, uh um, you know th th those you would develop that relationship with the group then it's very important to say that the group can't force anything right the, the business units the markets like mm -hmm. you know uh the the individual market that you know i don't know ai korea or prudential hong kong or axa right. spain or whatever the company is right they would right. be the one that are the real decision maker so the group can go in and say hey you know we like it we validated it and then the group and then the business unit will say you know maybe Make korea will say yes maybe india will say no maybe china will say maybe in six months you know and, and that's what you'll have to follow so that's the first one but you know to be honest um most of the time if the group you know likes it it means there's something behind it and they obviously have a lot of sway internally so they you know they, they can then pitch it for you properly and, and we found a lot of success personally in, in convincing the group and then having the group sort of bring us across the markets and then finding you know like four or five markets that you want to go into with, with that particular company. So that's the, that's the first one. And then obviously you have the regional, uh, the, sorry, the local player. So you may have like a insurer in Vietnam or something like that, mm -hmm. that, that that's launching up with us. And, and, and we do have a few of those clients, um, but they're less strategic for us because of course uh, they're not as big in size, uh, but they can prove a big point for us in sort of growing in a market. So for example, you know, uh, if we have the first client in Vietnam, uh, you know, then you know maybe getting a few domestic players on top is helpful for us to sort of get more of the of the local penetration. Um, and then the second point is, and, and but this is very very specific to insurance. I don't know how that is outside. I, I would imagine right. it to be similar like, with banking, I guess, and a few other of these industries. But again, I, I don't have that knowledge there. I'm afraid. Um, the other thing I just wanted to say here, which I think is very important, is actually the face to face aspect because it is important to be in those cities or countries. Um, because of the fact that you can see these people face to face and you can interact with them, you can speak with them. And, you know, in my, in my very short experience, you know, I'm a very unexperienced guy, but in my very short experience, I've seen that make a ton of a difference to be able to go to a client and just say, I mean, in, I always joke that quarantines were really good for my business because I, I, you know, I, I do, I, all I do is this job. I, I just, you know, I, I, I love what I do. I, I really want to make a success out of this. So I didn't right. care going into quarantine. 
Um, and so every time I, 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 I came to a client, they were like, quite, they're like, wow, you, you, you go through like 21 days of quarantine just to come see us. Um, and, and, you know, there was, there was Good many point. times where that actually sped up deals just because they were like, oh, wow. I mean, that's really cool that, that, you know, a supplier makes that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and so I think face-to-face -face is very important, even if it just shows that you're there for your clients and, and, and you're in the region. And especially in Asia, right? For the ones who have less experience in Asia, uh, it, it makes, of course, even in Europe and in, in the US, but I'd say in Europe, it's more important than in the US. But in Asia, it's it's a total different world in that, in that sense. It's much more important than in Europe and uh, than in the US, being in person, right? 100%, yeah, you, you, especially in Asia, you have to go out for dinners, you know, you have to you have, to have because I think in, in, in a, it's a nice thing because, you know, you know, like you're you're becoming more friends, I think, with your clients and partners than you would be in in the West. I mean, that's one of my key observations. And again, I you know I have to make this disclaimer. You know, I, I am I am learning a lot myself, right? It's it's a lot of it is new to me as well. But 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 that's one of the key differences I found. You know, I, I would do much more sort of outside of work stuff with my clients. I would even call friends now in in in, in Asia uh, compared to what I would that's do right. with my my, my clients in in, 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 in in other areas. So yeah, that, that personal aspect to it is, is, is very important in Asia, I agree. Right. So, and um, how to build a brand? So coming from the UK, uh, you know, getting your first clients, I know that the same happens in the UK than Europe when you are starting up, but um, but going into a different region, uh, as you said, that you, you don't know much in, in the beginning and building the team, attracting the, the team to, to join you, attracting the customers, etc. So what were some of your lessons learned building the brand in the APAC region for, for Kimata? Yeah, um, so the first thing to say is, um, we didn't so much um, focus on our brand per se, but rather focus on our enterprise sales. Because again, the when you talk about our brand, right, what we did a lot of the times is word of mouth. Because, mm -hmm. so for example, you know, we announce a big deal with a big insurer or a big deal with a big reinsurer. The insurance industry is very small, so it travels around. And because yeah. we started to start in Asia, that's where you know most of the word traveled around about us, and now I think, you know, hope, hopefully, you know nobody says this is this is wrong. I really hope that's the case. But I think, honestly speaking, if you go into Asia and you talk about you know sort of like data-driven underwriting, the name Kimada would probably be you know are not the only one, but definitely you know one of the top ones. I think that 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 clients would would mention. And I think the re the way that we built that up is really by actually just focusing on making sales and getting clients in the door and actually convincing people to work with us. But that was the first stage. That was our, what I call the startup phase, right? Where we didn't have huge budgets for anything. And, you know, we just had to like make sure that we started to get revenue and then start to prove our, 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 our you know, our, our growth story. Mm -hmm. um, but now we're in a different situation where, you know, we're in the, what I call the scale-up phase, right? Where we have, you know, we have some clients, we have revenue, we, you know, we, but it's about like growing from the, base that we have right and then scaling up um, and I think that's where we start to now put a lot of effort on actually how do we develop our brand right and that be by doing podcasts right or be that by by speaking at events or be that by in Asia maybe doing some more personal things like you know an event uh, uh, or a dinner or, or and so forth but again I think branding is a bit hard for me to talk about just because of the fact that 
I think being a B2B company, we focus a lot on just making sales and have the word travel around. And now we've okay. sort of hired a professional uh, team uh, um, that is taking care of our marketing and really build our brand uh, outside of just the, the selling part of it. Got it. That's, that's a good point. Uh, and in terms of uh, your approach into talent, do you kind of have uh, offices in some cities? Are you remote? Are you in hybrid mode? So what has been your approach in, in that sense? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, that's obviously a very topical question. I, I, I always don't really know how best to answer this because I'm still stuck in my head, on, honestly, on, on, on what the pros and cons are. I mean, right now, our company, we offer full remote working um, with sort of, you know, a laxed requirement to come in like one or two days a week, um, right? right? And, and, you know, look, if, if someone doesn't do it for one week, you know, you know we're not going to, we're not going to uh, uh, kill them. But, but, but I, I think, you know, I don't know. I mean, I definitely see the, the benefits of working from home. As you can see, I'm working from home, right? And I'm working from home most of the time. I've been feeling that I've been getting so much more productive working from home. I mean, it's crazy. I can just fit in 10 meetings a day now. You know, it's crazy. And I, and I don't have to have like half an hour meeting and then half an hour for travel to my to the office, to the next exactly. the client's office. And then, no, I can just half an hour, you know, we have a 45 minutes, you know, slot straight away after I have my next meeting. You know, I don't, do I have to do anything? That's great. Um, but then on the negative side of things, and I think this works great, like me and my co-founder or me and my core team that worked together for years now, right? But then now in that scale-up phase, we're hiring a lot more people. And I think yeah. that's where the problem comes in because if you haven't met them, you haven't mm -hmm. built that relationship because that's, let's be real, right? Like work is like most of our life, quite honestly, yeah. right? Even if you're not an entrepreneur, I mean, if you're an entrepreneur, 100% of your life. But if you're not an entrepreneur, even then it's like, I don't know the figure, but I would assume like 50, 60% of your life. So like, do you want to spend 50, 60% of your life talking over FaceTime or Zoom? Probably not, right? You'd, you'd want to see that person. You'd want to have a drink with them. You want to go for a dinner with them. You want to just make a joke, you know, with them and, and, and right. not just talk about work. And I think that's the important part about face-to-face. -face. So I think having a hybrid model where, where it allows you to meet people for fun activities, do some stuff mm -hmm. together and bond, And then yeah. do the day-to-day -day job in an efficient homeworking way, where, where where you know where you can have that meeting after meeting. That I think uh, is the right approach, and that's what we're trying to do in 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 Kumata. But I think the last point to say about how we do it in Kumata is we trust our employees a lot, right? Um, so, we, you know, if 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 someone really feels like what the, how they work best is fully remote, or how they work best is fully in an office, then. It's, you know, it's them. They know it best. It's not for me to tell them how to do it. I know how I work best, but someone else might work differently best. And it's allowing right. people to give them the opportunity to, to work how they want. Same way we give them the opportunity to live how they want, right? Should give them the opportunity right. to work how they want. Love it. And and for the ones who or wants to, to, to follow an hybrid model and go to the office kind of one or two days per per week, so will you have kind of uh, regional offices or for each of, of uh, the the markets that you mentioned before yeah correct so we have a you know we have a um a office in london so we have two small floors in in near wall street um you know mm -hmm. which uh which uh we you know used to go a lot um and then not at all uh during the first times of covid and now it's right. sort of like full once or twice a week um, we have an office in Hong Kong, we have an office in Shanghai, um, and we're now opening an office in, 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 in Singapore and Mumbai. Um, 
uh, we don't have one in Japan just because it's too, you know, it's just one person. Um, um, and um, but yeah, that, that's that's the that's the current situation. Exactly, got it. So and let's go into, uh, of course, always a very interesting uh, topic, which is which are the fundraising lessons, and we know that uh, the playbooks are becoming uh, more and more complex, or or we we are getting less and less. Uh, playbooks because the market is hot in, in the last uh, or even hotter in the last two years. So what has been some of your lessons learned raising uh, the, the A round? Yeah, um, I think some of the lessons that I've learned is, you know, to, um, you know, to, fo to, to, to sort of focus a lot on, I guess, what you need, um, right? So and to focus a lot also on, on on the investors that can help you to to get where where you need. So, um, you know, we, we we you know we had a fantastic bunch of investors um, in in our last round and the rounds before, and I, I think that's really helped me to uh, develop as a as a leader as the as a CEO. Um, focus me on the right things. Maybe it has been specifically helpful for me because of because of. Know, who I am and, and 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 you know because of my somewhat lack of experience in some in some aspects so I think I think that's been really helpful having a having a partner um from one of these venture firms MMC who Ollie who's really you know helped me to focus on the areas that I need to focus meaning you know hitting our AR figures and and, and um you know hitting our client targets and all this kind of stuff and hitting product excellence and, and so forth um so I think one of the real big targets is to to be really clear on 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 who you want as your investors. But actually, I think a lot of the times, and sorry, I'm going to be a little, I don't know if you can call it controversial, but yeah. you know, my opinion always is, I always think like when when I say choose your choose the investors, you know, very very carefully. I actually don't mean what they can offer you. Because honestly, sometimes I don't get it. A lot of these VCs say, oh, they can offer this and that and this and that. And that's <laughs> nice. But let's just be real, right? What you want from yeah. them is the money and the experience. You know, those are the two things you really want. Everything else, whether they give you a bit of you know, Amazon credit or whatnot, okay, that's great. But that's not why I'm going to choose that you as an investor. So obviously, then, if you look at these other two parts, what you really care about is sort of the, the, the help that they can give you, the experience they can give you, and the money. Or the money is obviously one that's just like, do they give it or not? So if they give it, yes, great. And then if you have a few investors, right? I think the only thing, really, in my opinion, the only thing you should look at is how do you get along with the guy who's, or the girl who's going to be on your board, you know, the partner. That's it, right? And if you have a great relationship with that person, then you're going to have a great time. If you have a bad relationship, you're going to have a horrible time. So I think it sometimes gets a bit overcomplicated what to look for. And again, look, I don't want to sound here like I'm a fundraising guru. You know, I, I, you know I've only raised the seed in a Series A. So, you know, there's a lot that I still have to learn myself. But if you want to, for my limited knowledge and my limited expertise, I think that's really a core thing. Don't overthink about like who to choose or whatnot. Just look at do they want to give you the money and who's the partner that is going to be on your board and do you get along with them? I think those are the key points. Right. And it's, again, focusing on uh, nurturing a relationship with that person will allow you to understand if that person will uh, help you uh, during the path or not, right? Because... As you said, there is also a lot of investors that will pitch you, that they will help you out. But at the end of the day, maybe when you need the help might not uh, come. And sometimes it's not because they don't want it, it's because they don't have enough time to, to serve the entire uh, portfolio. So it's, it's very important to do uh, your due diligence on 
making sure that that uh, member of that will join the board will will be available to help you out and will have the experience to help you out, right? Of course, but it's like any human relationship, right? I, I always put like, I have these three examples I always run for, right? Like finding your investor or your board members, that's one, hiring top talent, executive teams and below, and, you know, finding a wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever <laughs> you're into, right? It's the same thing, right? Ultimately, okay. you're looking for someone that you can get along with and that can help you in getting to your objectives and their objectives, right? Where your objectives align and you have incentives to basically help each other out to get ahead in life, ultimately, right? right. And I think with all of that, yes, you have to do your due diligence, right? You have to do due diligence on your board members, on your employees yeah. before you hire them. And, you know, I would recommend also on your wife. The right, dating stage, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly, right? Like the dating stage. So, but, right, um, but, um, um, but I think it's important to also like not, you, know, you have to take a leap at some point. Right. Like you, you just have to, right? You you, you can't over yeah. you know you can't overanalyze everything. And I and I think accepting that is important. Um, because you know, as long you know, it's fine. You know, I've made hiring mistakes and I've made great hires, right? And and yeah. you know, and recognizing the great ones and recognizing the not so great ones and and working on how to improve the not so great ones and 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 try to you know align each other better and really giving all the support that you can to the good ones. I I I think that is the core. Uh, uh, the, the, the core about choosing your investors, hiring employees, or whatever other you know relationship in your life you may have, be that personal or, or professional. Right, absolutely, and th that's one definitely one of the most important skills when scaling up is really uh, recruiting, right? Because sales, there is a skill that you need to uh, command uh, very early on, because in the beginning it's almost uh, ourselves that needs to uh, prove to the world that what we are trying to do uh, makes sense and that can add value to them. Um, but later on, it's really uh, attracting those people in in different uh, areas of the business, uh, and, and that's a very important uh, skill to to train, let, let's say, and to and to improve. Great. So we are coming to the final questions of, of the show. Uh, and some of my favorite ones, which is if you would have uh, the opportunity to have a coffee with yourself uh, at the beginning of Qmata Group in 2017, what advice would you offer to your younger self? Yeah, it's, 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 it's a very good point. I think um, one of the things that I would say is, um, you know, the English word is going to lack me, but, um, you know, these sayings that everybody sort of says, right? Like, mm -hmm. I tell you, give you one example of, you know, and, you know, remember, like when I started out, like I, 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 you know, I, 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 um, I didn't have particularly much experience. So please ignore my, um, my, my, my ignorance in this topic, but everybody was telling, you know, like team is number one, but like everybody said it. Everybody, everybody said it. And at the beginning, I was like, oh, yeah, if everybody says it, surely there's like some blah, blah, right? Every book that I read said it, blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, yeah, whatever, like, let's just make sales. My biggest learning was that, yes, 100%, team is the most important thing. You hire a great team, you know, and as you say before, right, that's the difference between start startup and scale up. Startup, you can do all yeah. yourself. Scale up, you have to rely on people. And so my big advice to myself is sort of to, to really, 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 if everybody says it, you know, if the, these are these, Topics like team is everything or, you know, like focus on sales rather than raising money. These are sort of the things that everybody says. 
they're really true. If everybody says it, they're true. And just <laughs> don't think about them and just, just listen to them. <laughs> exactly. That's one of the key advice. Love it. And uh, what are you the most proud of uh, on your journey so far? I think two things. I think the first thing is we've really, um, we've really have started to move an industry. I won't say we have moved an industry yet, but we've really started to. And you know what we're doing is is quite tough because we're working with like huge, risk adverse, you know multi tens of billion dollar insurance companies. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to change the core of what they do, which is to change how they price risk, right? Um, and so it's a really tough, you know, tough thing to, to, to modernize, but we found a product that really helps and that really drives ROI. And I'm really proud of, of, of really having moved that now. I think, you know, things are really, I mean, you know, never been as busy as I'm now. Things are really moving, you know, you know, we've got a lot of clients on board. We've raised a decent amount of money. So that's what I'm, I'm really proud of being a, having come to, 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 you know, where we you know where we've come to now with just pure perseverance of vision and, 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 um, you know, a, a lot of hard, but smart work. And then the second thing is I'm really proud of the team we've built actually. Um, you know, I, mm-hmm. I'm really surprised how the hell these people all join, you know, join me on, on this journey. I, I always like, if I listen to myself, I'd be like, oh, damn, no, <laughs> but, but no, you know, we've got some, we've got some amazing, you know, really senior experienced, uh, you know, um people that have transformed the business and that are 10 times smarter than me and 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 being able to have recruited those people being able to have convinced those people to journey on on on, on this journey i think is probably one of the proudest things of, of of my limited career so far amazing worst advice ever received worst advice ever received um <laughs> uh probably not to follow your ambitions um you know and just to do what what you know to stay, do, stay in your comfort zone yeah i think that's probably a, a one that you that you hear quite a lot but but i think that's that's sort of like if you hear that as an entrepreneur you're always like yeah no. <laughs> <laughs> you, no. <laughs> i will prove you wrong <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> favorite business book uh, favorite business book? Well, actually, um, I really like. I mean, I don't know if this is a business book, um, but um, the, you know, it can one be non-business as well. No worries. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so basically, it's it's. So I, I started reading Ray Dalio's Principles, and that was great. Um, but then yeah. recently, I've read the second one, uh, which is Ray Dalio's. Um, God, I'm going to murder. I think the title is uh, um, like Principles of How to Deal with a Changing World Order. It's not directly business, but it's more like it's politics the last around. One, yeah. Got it's it. absolutely fascinating that that story is i mean like basically how you know empires uh, you know basically grow and then and then wow. dissolve i mean it's it's I need to fascinating read that okay um and then uh yeah i mean you can, you can see some of my collection here so <laughs> exactly and to wrap up the favorite movie or or series uh that you like to watch uh house of cards house of cards is my all-time favorite i don't know why i just i just love house of cards <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing any any final uh remarks that you'd like to share before before we go um no just thank you very much for having me it's really been a pleasure talking with you and uh and you know i i hope your listeners found this you know interesting or you know or at least somewhat helpful and 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 yeah um, hopefully continued discussion 
My pleasure, Lucas. Thanks so much for making the time and for joining us. And of course, you are uh, invited to come uh, when you get your uh, B round to share how to go from A to B uh, and at any time because of the experience of, uh, of the ones who are, who are in the field uh, doing the stuff always helps uh, the peers to make the life of their life a little bit easier scaling up. So to our community, thanks for being on that side. Uh, as you see, we keep doing our best to bring you the best of the best and to make your life a little bit easier uh, scaling up. See you soon and keep scaling.